I'm your host, Ken Lane, and this is the show where I bring on stellar guests from across the API universe to discuss, debate, and solve the latest topics around APIs and API first. All right, here we are, another episode of Breaking Changes. Today, I have Gleb Polyakov, the CEO of Nihilus, with me. Welcome, Gleb. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Well, I'm excited to talk to you you today because uh, Nihilus has been coming up on my radar in several different ways lately, um, most notably the fun recent funding you had, but also just in in a in a covid world you 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 all kind of represent i think kind of the core uh resources that folks are needing in their business so i'm really excited to talk about you know uh how how you all do what you do but you know how apis fit into that so let's start with the fundamentals for the audience what is nihilus yeah absolutely so at the uh, highest, vaguest, most abstract level, Nihilus is that uh, platform that allows developers to access that super high value, high signal, but hard to get to and structure data that exists within business interactions. And then uh, also provides the uh, front end components that let you develop rapidly against your end goal. So um, you mentioned some of the um, acceleration on the digital transformation side, given the past year and a half, two years, the, the everything going on with COVID and remote work, folks have used our platform to do things like drive the um, rollout of over 25 million vaccines across several states, several companies, where uh, we're powering everything from that front end uh, user interface you know, across several hundred point of care centers around the country, different flows, different sign up uh, Branding uh, experiences where our front end components allow you to, as a developer, really flexibly uh, decompose, deconstruct, and then um, put into your flow the calendaring and scheduling view, the availability times, the, the composer for different messages. Uh, so folks have used that to schedule vaccine appointments. We make sure we power the email and SMS messages that go back and forth to uh, various, uh, well, the, the folks getting the vaccines. Um, to make sure you know it's being dethawed before they're on their way, no vaccine is wasted, and then we also do the automation, the logistics, the business logic and routing uh, of putting all that together for those companies that are our customers that allow them to not only deploy uh, these kind of use cases quickly, but also securely in an ISO, SOC 2, HIPAA certified way um, without having to worry about the, the ongoing maintenance or security load or how to extract the the necessary business information from the actual uh, API functionality. And and this is all primarily built on the existing services that that I'm using to run my business, right? That's right. And and so you're aggregating data and and moving data around is it are are y'all polishing and and enhancing that data as part of the process as well? Uh yes we do. So the data types that we give you access to. So the, for example, calendars or uh, your contacts uh, folders, the contents, contents of your inbox and the, the content of you know, whatever messages are going back and forth, the files and attachments and documents that you're working with in a business context. All of these represent a, a actually surprisingly unstructured uh, data set. 
Um, I think that makes sense for a lot of people that like, oh, a, a PDF is going to be unstructured because it's like a physical document. But then a lot of them think that, or a lot of folks uh, might have the idea that like, oh, but email is a solved problem, right? It's uh, something that's easy to work with. There's easy to use APIs out there already. And the reality is that no, there aren't. Uh, and like the most common comment we get is like, Nihilus, I thought this is how uh, this type of data was accessed already. And it's like, no, nah, we, we just have a pretty amazing engineering team led by Christine Spang, my CTO, that over the past seven years has done a great job of making that happen. But uh, we actually launched our service before the Gmail API existed. Um, and the existence of the Gmail API has only made it uh, uh, a tiny bit better to access Gmail data in some ways. The actual contents, the actual things that you're trying to get out of the messages, plus the... You know, use cases you're trying to drive at the end of the day still have to be very much custom built. And we try to make that easier by abstracting away, by structuring a lot of that unstructured data and providing our developers with a universal API um, and the components they need to build robust applications. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine what's, what's in my inbox is pretty insane. And that's just one inbox. You all have to do it across many different, you know, entire teams and all of that. So that's that's pretty significant. I significant even even with the Gmail API, and well, so before we dive into the details of all of this, I like to get to know you a little bit better. Why why did you do Nihilus? What brought you to to starting this company? Yeah, absolutely. No, I uh, joined the team as I like to say the. Um, first evil business guy. So I was the first non-developer uh, professional background that uh, came onto the team to take the um, technology that had already been built and some of the community that we had already starting started working with and take it to the next level, build a, a really world-class, broad-reach business out of that. So originally, I have a uh, physics background and uh, worked in PE for a little bit, had uh, a startup right before Nihilus that was a IoT hardware play in the coffee space of all things, where we made, you know, for 300 bucks, a uh, espresso machine for the home that was just as good as a $20,000 coffee shop machine. Uh, we did it as like open source hardware and software, which... Um, Long story short, uh, none of the re regulatory industries loved very much. And um, after three or four tooling cycles that we didn't expect, we effectively ran out of money and sold off uh, to a larger manufacturer. Um, and when I was looking for my next gig, I threw a friend at MIT. I got connected with uh, Christine Spang. Um, she impressed the hell out of me, not only when it came to... Um, her just raw and intelligence and the ideas she was working on. She's like a lightsaber through bullshit. She just like gets things done and explains them so clearly. She's an absolute legend in the back end community. Um, but it's also just a great human being, a uh, good, empathetic, like quality type of person that you want to like hang out with. And that's kind of who you want to start businesses with people who are super smart, working on huge ideas that can change the world that are also like, humans that you want to spend time with and uh, build around as you grow your company. Yeah. Well, I have to say uh, us tech folks need a good evil business person around to, to move this forward and, and keep the bills paid and grow and scale things. Cause as we're paying attention to the technical details, we're not so good at those other pieces. So I'm thankful for folks like you and, <laughs> and don't consider, consider you an evil presence. I appreciate you. Um, so Let's dive into the impact of, of 
of of Nihilus on 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 the overall economy, but in the space we tend to use a phrase called API economy, which if you talk to the API management providers of the last decade, they very much it's like you build an API and people come and you you generate direct revenue from that API and that's how you make your money. I see Nihilus more as about what I, my vision of the API economy is and it and it's more about enabling entirely new businesses and new types of APIs and flows and processes. So how, how do you see the, the phrase API economy and what Nihilus does? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that uh, your way of viewing the world matches pretty well with mine. So uh, I, I, some analyst reports you read, some people um, who aren't in tech will hear APIs and they think like, oh, that's a way that I can access Salesforce. Like APIs are connectors to data. And it's like, way. Not really. I, I mean, yes and no. Um, or some people who are a little bit more nuanced are like, APIs are like a building block that you can OEM into what you're doing. It's like, again, yeah, uh, but also no um, type of idea. The analogy I really like to use is that, I mean, we know what API stands for, but it's like a, a wrapper around a more complex functionality that allows you to um, abstract away the complexity and do something more simple. So, for example, um, in a car, the interface to make the car go faster is a gas pedal. You step down on the gas pedal, car goes faster. Um, under the surface, though, I mean, what, what's happening? The throttle valve is opening, the valve timings are changing, the fuel pump is accelerating its rate, the, uh, on and on and on, right? Multiple changes uh, happen that make the cylinders pump faster, the exhaust pressures change, like so much is going on that you never have to worry about and you shouldn't have to worry about as a driver because um, all you need to think about is, okay, the thing I want to happen is car go faster, pedal go down. Um, and that's, I think, a slightly better model for an API. And like the general um, sort of trend uh, kind of matches that, right? If you look at those cars from 1895, 1903, but before the, the Model T, um, they had a bunch of levers and gears and knobs and dials because you had to do a lot of that stuff on your own. Um, but as the interfaces got more uh, straightforward, as like the level of technical and engineering complexity reached the point where those could be abstracted away, the ability to drive a car became much simpler and the utility of um, car driving expanded, you know, into the trucking and logistics industry, into like the, the private um, taking a joyride sector, into car races and on and on and on in terms of use cases. But um, I think a similar thing is happening now with APIs where like, yeah, you could use it to access Salesforce. And I don't mean that in, in any pejorative way against Salesforce, obviously, but um, the more interesting thing to me is sort of APIs and the API economy as a extension of that fundamental metaphor of, of software development overall, right? Like going from um, literal binary code to um, higher order languages to like, now we have SDKs that let you build like whole mobile apps in a, in a day or two. I see that as being like the continued trend that um, one is why people view software in the first place, right? Like the whole point of it is to provide additional leverage to manual processes that can and should be automated or that humans aren't very good at doing in the first place. Um, and just happens to be that they're also kind of really cool to work with. Yeah, I love the I love the automobile industry analogy. I just did a, an episode with uh, John Musser from Ford about the the car uh, as a 
as an IoT API device. And I, but I think your your analogy as far as the business of it, I mean, in cars you have you know the Drex, you have Ford, but then you have the entire supply chain for the Ford ecosystem. You have the aftermarket. Uh, you have all these other areas of business in and around and and after you buy your car that that i think that's the api economy that i'm i'm looking you know and and thinking about and then you mentioned it the entirely new workflows and processes and being able to be agile like during covid all right you know this isn't a standard business process we need to set up but we need to react to what's happening and set up you know vaccination clinics and do all of that so it's 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 having access to the data and those resources you said but it's really the uh the the wider being able to uh define new new workflows new processes and no one likes i mean a few of us api nerds like working directly with apis but we really we want that hard stuff abstracted away and so uh that's that's what i really gets me going but when it's when you think about APIs and kind of the spread of, of services that Nihilus offers, what are the, the biggest APIs that, that, that come to mind as far as offering the, the most value to what Nihilus does? Yeah, no, at the highest level, we are here to help you with um, automating human to human interactions, by which I mean like the, the engagement aspect, the can I have a meaningful conversation with someone uh, quickly uh, through software. And like similar to what you're saying, like, yeah, some people really love databases. They love them. They love the theory of databases, but uh, most people, I would wager, interact with databases or use them to accomplish a goal um, as a like more instrumental uh, part of their of their tech stack than like a intellectual pure like uh, dopamine hit on its own. Uh, and so like for us, the value we drive is not necessarily like Yes, we connect and provide automations and logistics for XYZ thing. But at the end of the day, we're making it so that you can talk to your users in the channels that they are using without them having to leave your app, download a new thing, um, without them having to like uh, either reduce your product's experience or force them to do additional steps on their end. Um, we're helping you surface the insights and information from the content of that communication in a very high signal and easily usable way. And we're helping you automate a lot of the process that would have to otherwise go into it or be manual uh, if you didn't have uh, software built around it. And so like that's the, what was it in 2020? Uh, I want to say it was $2.8 trillion uh, was lost in the US alone on things that can and should be automated. It's like the four and a half million people whose only job right now is data entry. Um, it's the every doctor's office who's trying to schedule appointments. It's uh, every company in any industry, in any sector, who's trying to make sure that they're talking to candidates quickly, giving them a great experience, and also like managing their own team's time and scheduling the interview loops. Um, it's every car dealership that's sending out invoices or repair uh, stuff to their customers. Um, those are the end goals of human interaction. And that's like the highest, highest level value um, that we're, we're aiming for. Because uh, like if you look at like the vast, vast majority of software, it all has to build the same three things. You've got to have like an authentication identity uh, path. So that's where folks like Octoplay. You've got to have a payments piece. So Stripe, Plaid, uh, those companies play in that way. Uh, and you have to be around interactions. You have to have some sort of interaction component in your software to help humans use it. Um, and that's that's the real estate that we really want to stake our claim in. 
Um, traditionally, folks uh, like the Twilio's of the world have focused on that really outbound broadcast one-to-many communication uh, on the API side because it's a little bit the, the lowest hanging fruit out there, especially when you can monetize on that super high volume sending. But our belief at Nihilus is that the value we want to drive, the, the real differentiator and um, help we want to provide our customers is to build those like one-on-one uh, interaction flows at scale and make them super streamlined and easy to work with so that you can honestly not have to think about it. So you can focus on the thing that you're actually trying to accomplish at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, you touched on... 70, 80% of my day is emailing, calendaring, you know, setting up, you know, working on making the show happen, as well as the other teams I manage and other people that I manage. And so, but what I what I do as as a chief evangelist at Postman is is thinking about the important ideas in the space, the important people, brands, and and how it all fits together. And I don't get a lot of time to think about that. And so and even in a in a in a in the COVID world, you know, I um, it's I would say it's gotten worse. It's I'm doing more calendaring, more scheduling, more Zoom calls. I think I'm able to do more, but I'm a little worried of going back into the the regular world where I have actual traffic and driving places and and physical things interrupting it. And when I was working my way through your website, uh, I noticed you you use the the phrase "remote first." And so, how in that world, how do you see the future of work? I mean, I don't think we're going to go entirely back to normal, whatever that is. But how does how does Nyla see the future of work now as we're we're hitting the end of the pandemic? Hopefully, hopefully, I really hope so. Um, knock on wood. But yeah, I mean, a remote first, I feel, is the logical way to go um, because otherwise you're sort of cutting yourself off from uh, a lot of talent um, and especially from folks who just have different styles of work or who for the past two years have adjusted to a new style of work and found that like, hey, this actually fits their lifestyle a little bit better. Um, I mean, we still at Nihilus uh, for ourselves have offices. I don't see offices going away anytime soon. Um but just my personal experience is that uh, I would say probably like 40% of people do really, really well in the remote work world and kind of have that as their preference. Uh, another, let's say 30% really prefer being in the office and need that human connection. Um, it tends to be a lot more of the interrupt driven functions uh, like sales want to be more on the, the human side and a lot of the more like heads down functions. Uh, so obviously en- engineering or marketing, uh, the ones that uh, interrupts and context switches are super expensive for, they tend to seem to want the remote work side, but it, that's, that's like a generalization. There's plenty of folks, I think um, on all teams that have one way or the other of working. And then there's like a, um, group of folks that is sort of ambivalent. They can do it one way or the other. They just want to get the jobs done uh, and get to work on the stuff they want to work on. Um, so our, my thinking is, is I mean, it feels like the obvious pragmatic answer of like, let folks work remotely if they want to work remotely. Uh, worst case, it just reduces the amount of investment you have to make as a business in real estate. Um, you, you'll need less space because not everyone will be in 100% of the time. And I kind of believe that culturally, it's a forcing function for um, a lot of really healthy organizational behaviors. 
So when the pandemic first started, I'm sure you saw all the other like old school managers freaking out about like, oh, what about like the loss of in-person XYZ thing? Um, like how will people be productive? And like, well, people were productive after all. Um, and my personal sort of thought around it is that it's because they kind of sucked as managers in the first place. Um, if you feel called out good, I think like it's because you were micromanaging too much um, and you didn't know how to set, set clear goals. And our sort of philosophy at Nihilus is like leadership's job. Um, and I sort of mean that apositionally, apositional leadership, whether you're the CEO or whether you're like the, the tech lead on a project um, with no one reporting to you per se. Um, your job is to outline like where you're going and why. Like here's the direction. Here's the context around why I think that's the right direction. How's up to you? You tell me how we get there type of idea for a few reasons. One, it actually gives people autonomy and agency and impact and ability to make their own choices, which like surprise people react better to. Um, also, it gives a little bit of a feedback cycle for folks to be more collaborative and go like, okay, I mean, that direction's great. And I get that context. What about if we went you know, 10 degrees to the right or whatever? Uh, wouldn't that be better? And you get to go, okay, yeah, that would be better. But mainly in the context of the remote work uh, function is that it really forces leadership and management and organizations to get super clear about what they're trying to accomplish and why. What are the goals you're trying to get at? How are you measuring those goals? Um, and if those goals are accomplished, who cares how long someone spends in an office? Or even if they put in more than like two hours of work a week, goals accomplished. Uh, that's on leadership to set a different goal next time if they feel like they're not being efficient enough with their staff or whatever. Yeah, it feels like folks who really don't have a handle on, on their workforce and what people are doing are going to have a tougher time automating a lot of that because they're just unaware of what happens and how it happens. So where do you recommend folks start thinking about business process automation? Where's the most common ways that if it's kind of chaos right now, where do we start? Start in the top of the funnel, I guess. Uh, whenever you're optimizing these things, uh, figure out where the most of the time right now is being spent, what the uh, biggest lift might be uh, that will give you the, the biggest, most outsized win. Um, when it comes to things like the, the business process automation piece, I would say like really focus in on how you're interacting, uh, either externally with potential customers, users, prospects, um, uh, potential uh, team members that you're trying to recruit, or look at how folks are interacting internally. Because I, I sort of like what you were saying before, like that your day is spent a lot on communication. And I would make the argument that everyone's is like we are humans in meat space as much as we want to deny that um or as much as i personally sometimes want to deny that but um that means that like day to day our our monkey brains are just there trying to reach out and connect with other monkey brains uh and influence them whether it's you know on tiktok or yeah on github i it's a weird sentence but those are the two extremes of the spectrum i've just laid out um and whether you're you know, a marketer, an engineer, a salesperson, your day is ultimately um, spent talking to other people and collaborate with, collaborating with them and trying to like create useful, meaningful experiences together. So when it comes to automating those uh, things that happen in my, my daily world, is automation just about scheduling things? Like saying at this time, do, do, do some sort of automated task? Or is there more to automation than just scheduling? 
Oh, um, I would say that automation as a general concept, um, and I am keeping it like high level and vague right now, um, applies beyond scheduling. It it applies to any process. Um, It means simplifying that interaction surface area. So like driving back to that car analogy or like going from machine code to Python or like other languages, like how can you make it simpler to achieve your end goal, do the thing with fewer inputs that has um, cultural context that needs to come into play in terms of like, you have to constrain the possibility space of what you're trying to accomplish. If you're trying to also constrain the input space uh, for the most part, or you can get really complex around the functions that you're going through. But um when it comes to Nihilus specifically as a company uh, right now, like the, and the reason like I'm not jumping in with a bunch of stories of like XYZ, uh, this person did that uh, is because our focus is, is on being that API economy player. Um, we are not the ones doing the cool shit. Our customers are the ones out there who are doing the heavy lifting, sending all out all the vaccines, like empowering um, folks from, uh, underrepresented minority groups to like have access to financial capital markets or like for some of our more fun use cases in the IOT space uh, in automotive or in like showing LCD picture frames or um, selling caster wheels or whatever the, the situation might be. Uh, we're providing the infrastructure. And so I, I sort of keep it vague because I want to focus on our, our customers that are doing the hard work and just giving them the flexible tools possible to get their job done. And and are you are these developers are giving these tools to or are these mm-hmm. average business folk? Uh, developers, yeah. So our our customers are always the the developers, the the product teams that are trying to build things. Um, but but you're really abstracting away all those those friction points that they normally encounter having to deal with the different APIs, deal with the SDK, different SDKs and all of that, you're, you're looking to, to make, make our life as easy as possible when it comes to That's right. Yeah. I mean, that's the, if software is eating the world and developers are building that software, um, I want to be in the hands of every developer and helping them get their job done better, faster, easier, cheaper. Um, I kind of see that as being the, the necessary place to play. If you want to have the, most impactful business possible. How can you accelerate the pace of software? Um, but that goal itself is an instrumental step towards how can you accelerate the pace of, um, you could phrase it as like a business pace of opportunity, pace of like the ability for technology to provide people with better access to um, those human experiences or uh, better access to whatever type of opportunity or um life they're trying to build for themselves, which is why humans have been making tools for the past you know, hundred thousand years. So how are you seeing the the concept of a you know the of an application evolving? So when I I first started tuning into the API world in 2010, you you know it's very much you build it, they'll come. You build an API, developers come and they build a web or a mobile app and then eventually an IoT app. How how do you see the concept of an application evolving in a world, uh, in, in a nihilist kind of powered world? Mm-hmm. Um, great question. Let me think about that for a second. I don't know whether I see the 
role of a discrete application fundamentally changing all that much, though the interface may change. Um, and sort of like the way I think about that landscape is in like three vertical buckets where applications are at the very top. They're the top layer, um, the cream that most people see. And I'm defining application here as anything where the experience and the value you get from that software is driven primarily or almost entirely through that uh, end user visual interface. So there I would include you know, everything from Salesforce to this restream to um, things like Honeycomb, um, like a log diving tool, where one way or the other, you're using it in an interface, going in and visually pressing buttons to uh, live in that experience they created for you. Um, then below it, I see there being at the very bottom an infrastructure layer. So these are the folks that are you know, laying down the fiber optic cable that sends signals across oceans and uh, sending up Starlink satellites and uh, running the bare metal servers um, themselves for the cloud providers or what have you. Um, in the middle, that's where I think that API economy piece, as we were talking about it, lives. The, the, I think of it as the abstraction layer. Um, the folks, you know, API economy, digital transformation, low code, no code. I think that all fits in that abstraction layer bucket. And there, the common theme is companies like Nihilus, Stripe, uh, Twilio, that are making more powerful tools, more powerful Lego blocks, uh, I IKEA kits for folks to, to go with. Um, and you can kind of think of that like application uh, abstraction infrastructure layer as mapping directly to a, um, a restaurant grocery store farm type idea uh, where I really like the API economy. I like the abstraction layer space because if you're like the, the grocery store, you're able to sell not only to the restaurants of the world, but also to home chefs and to companies that uh, have cafeterias and you can provide little meal kits that make it easier to get the job done while still giving people all the flexibility they need. And from a business perspective, as, as the, my brand of evil business guy that I'm, we're establishing here, um, that's the much more valuable place to be. There is no one right answer to restaurant. There is no one right answer to video streaming. Zoom's doing, Zoom's doing a great job. Skype did a fine job before. There'll be some other video streaming tool after that. Uh, we're on Restream right now, right? But the um, reason for that is that when you constrain that possibility space, the business advantage you get is rapid distribution. Because if you really nail the value you're driving for a specific user segment, then you're able to really just step on the gas in terms of getting it out in people's hands. There are viral loops you can use. There are uh, just like huge paid partnerships that you can uh, do or just like dump money in ads. Uh, as long as the constrained experience is relevant to the users, you can get broad scale distribution quickly. Uh, you can open McDonald's in a lot of cities. Um, it's harder to open a French laundry in every city. And it's harder to say that McDonald's is the perfect answer to all your food needs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you, you went, you use one of my favorite analogies for APIs in the spaces of Legos, but I think you took it one step further that I think is really important is use the Ikea. And I would, I would say that's very powerful because especially in the gig or sharing economy and, and the empowerment you talked about with your customers is you're, you know, Nihilus isn't super concerned with whether you're in the restaurant business, you know, and building, you know, Ikea furniture or Ikea templates, you know, API driven templates for the restaurant industry, or if it's healthcare or, if, you know, 
is you're enabling those folks who are building those, those cool types, of, those kits that can be rapidly applied and used and iterated. And then Nihilus evolves your platform. And for someone like me, I work and lived and breathed in the tech space. So I moved to New York. I get rid of all my furniture. I move my art, my books, and my clothes. And I order an entirely new house from Ikea. I moved to Seattle. I do the same thing. I moved to LA. And that's how I live my life. So if you think about that from a business standpoint, how do you automate? How do you how do you do that in a in a in a business world? I think that IKEA uh, approach is pretty powerful to think about. Yeah, 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 yeah. And right now, like the, I do feel like the identity space. Go, just harking back to that, like identity um, payments and interactions piece of things. I feel like the identity space is fairly well understood. The payment space is is getting there, if only because of the fights with the uh, regulatory space. I feel like this communication sector, this interaction sector is still at that very beginning part of the curve because it's a hard problem because you can't constrain the uh, use cases nearly as much because uh, we're talking about like the possibility space of human interaction across all potential software in theory. And that's, you know, that's harder to build a universal layer around. Um, you have to cover at the end of the day, every channel. Um, right now, unified communications, if you like look at Gartner, it means telephony. It means call centers. It doesn't mean like email, WeChat, everything else. Though it's, yeah, it's starting to a little bit. Uh, but when I think of universal communication, when I think of universal interaction, that's where my head goes to is like, okay, where are people actually? Where do they actually live? Um, and the reason we began with email in large part is because the answer much to everyone's chagrin, our, our own, is still email. Um, there's four and a half billion mailboxes out there today. That's, that's not, I'm sorry, let me rephrase it. Four and a half billion people with mailboxes. The number of mailboxes is way, way higher. But like human beings with access to the internet have email addresses. Like SMS usage is declining uh, in large part because it's being broken apart into like the, the WeChats, the Facebook messengers, into these like corporate owned channels. Uh, email usage continues to go up um, and that doesn't seem to be stopping. Uh, part of that, uh, I believe, is that it's a decentralized protocol. Every time that the internet is up, your email is also up type of thing. Like you don't, you can't say the same thing for Facebook Messenger. Um, but... I, I'm not making the claim that email is here to stay forever. And I don't even really have a, I'm agnostic to channel at the end of the day. I'm just saying, making the observation that email is a big one and growing. Um, Slack or whoever else coming in, changing the game and how folks communicate, that's awesome. Uh, whatever happens, you will still need to make sure that we're able to build software quickly, to make sure that we're able to give uh, every developer out there or every person who's interested in becoming a developer the tools they need to accomplish those end outcomes quickly, they'll need to be able to interface with the depth and breadth of the human uh, possibility space of like how people are interacting online, over the phone, in person. Uh, how can software help those? Um, and I think like that's going to be the biggest trend we see over the next five years is like the, the way that companies build and buy software, the way that people uh, build and interact with software is going to see a pretty dramatic acceleration and change. Um, a lot of factors driving into that. A lot of the great work being done by you know, it, companies in the abstraction space. Uh, a lot of folks that I don't think we mentioned on this call yet, like the, the, the retools, the web flows, the Vercells that are out there working on making it like easier to build these type of applications. 
um, that trend is going to keep accelerating. Um, on the business end, companies are going to remain not having as many developers as they'd like, and they have long, I, I hope, uh, long ago, uh, it may have been only uh, a year or two ago, uh, finally figured out that, like it or not, they have to have a tech stack and engineers, and they are software companies, like it or not. Um, and just imagine once there's like global low latency internet everywhere, what new avenues that opens up for things like IoT, for like agricult agricultural processes and se uh, sensors in like far out locations, for the um, educational opportunities and like legitimate like real economic opportunities, uh, not just beyond education, of like building some useful software quickly and easily that solves a constrained specific problem for someone who could never do that 10 years ago or even now. That, that's what gets me excited about the future of the API economy. Yeah, it feels like you, you all have a real good handle on the, the, because that human focus, that relationship connection focus, you're tuned into the context and whether that's healthcare and HIPAA needs to apply or what can be very social or whether it's voice and it needs, you know, translation or, you know, I, I think that that rapid context um, is is pretty key. So how does how does machine learning and intelligence fit into all of that? Yeah, I, I think that that context piece that you're highlighting there is the critical part. So I, we have a phrase at Nihilus that we like to use saying like uh, connecting and collecting data is easy, but putting it to work is hard. Um, it's getting that end outcome, that end result of what you're trying to do. That's, that's tough. And it's not because you can't build a pipeline into a database quickly. You can, uh, that, that part's not hard. Um, it's because one structuring the data in a way that make it useful at all. And then two, having the context around it to make it useful. That's far and away the hard part. Um, so for us right now, as a business, we work in. Yeah, something like a, between one and two dozen industries that we have like a, a good amount of traction in. Um, something around 800 customers today with, uh, yeah, around, around 20 different industries that get a lot of utility out of us. Um, we're at a scale where we're at um, just over a, a million transactions a second, like two, two, three billion API requests a day, which is like bananas volumes thinking about uh, where we were just six years ago. Um, but because we have this context, because we see the, the 50 some terabytes sinking down daily, uh, and enforcing our models, that context engine that we have going, um, that allows us to then tweak and make ever better, um, the common use cases we see today and allow us to, uh, future proof ourselves for whatever use cases we see coming down the pipeline. Um, and by focusing on that more universal human element of like, okay, if you're trying to get information from someone, you need to first make a connection to them. And then you have to uh, tell them what you're trying to get or collaborate with them on. And then you have to get their like consent and buy-in. Uh, amazing. Um, that doesn't matter if you're a salesperson or engineering manager. That's the same process and the same flow. And so, like when we're thinking about the, that future of software, the what should you automate from a business product automation stand, standpoint or whatever else, it comes down to like that human connection and element, the interaction between people and people, and the interaction. Uh, even though I th 
this one I think is a little bit easier to do today between people and data uh, is where a lot of the work of software has been happening um, and where like the biggest impacts remain to, to be had in the future. Well, in this new kind of human and connection driven reality, you're an API company, you're servicing developers. Similar to my question around app, how's the application evolving is how's your definition of a developer evolving? Because in the old days, I mean, you know, developers, someone you kept in the basement, you kept behind locked doors, you threw pizza in there, you didn't really put them in front of your customers. What What is your desirable view of, of what a developer is, you know, today uh, in, in the Nihilus API ecosystem? Mm -hmm. You know, when we first opened up our New York office, we got a ton of folks who, um, it was an engineering office primarily, who were coming from these like, super like emotionally battle scarred financial sector type jobs where it was exactly like what you described. It was like they had zero decision-making uh, power and like, it sounded horrible. Um, I frankly don't super understand how you run a company that way. But anyway, um, I guess when you have all the money, literally you can, but uh, how does the role of the developer change? Is that the question? Over time? Yeah. I mean, just what is like as far as what Nihilus is looking to hire or, mm. you know, t the talent that you would love to uh, see in your developer ecosystem? What's the optimal profile of a developer? Great question. Um, for us, selfishly as a, as a company, we're hiring pretty aggressively for backend engineers and folks that have an interest in uh, working and processing like super large uh rapidly changing data sets um, on the AI ML side. So uh, we're trying to uh, at least 10x uh, a lot of those numbers I said, uh, the number of API calls a day, the, the data a day, the transactions a second. By the end of the year, um, we're making great headway and progress on that, but we're still a, a fairly lean team overall. Um, and on our end, I mean, we're, we're an API company. We're, we sell to developers, for developers, to make developers' lives easier. Um, so for us, it's sort of like step one is putting our engineers in front of our customers' engineers and having them like come up with the ideal solutions. Um, more broadly, Nihilus aside, I feel like there's not a way, like there's what, like 50 million, 50 to 80 million developers out there today? Ballpark? 50 million or so, yeah. Yeah. Um, going about double in the next three years. But even the folks who will be graduating in know, 2025, the class of 2025 with college degrees, even if they com come from completely non-technical, um, I'm, I'm trying not to throw shade on any specific university or major, um, but you know, even if you, you've, you've only read Chaucer for the past four years in university, like you understand so much better what APIs are, how software works, that there's like a shape to it, a logical structure, a, a Minecraft block, a Zoom integration that has to go in. And like the concepts of like garbage in, garbage out, like conditional statements are there in the cultural zeitgeist. And that's only increasing um, more and more. So you'll be able to use a lot of the tools that are in there sort of um, nascent period today around like low code, no code type uh, flows. Um, it's sort of a, 
analogy between like digital natives, like folks that like are just used to using software from birth. I think there's like some sort of equivalent to programming natives that we're going to see more and more. Um, my also sort of like uh, uh, tinfoil hypothesis is that like five to 10 years from now, developers are going to look a lot more like architects do today, where they have to deal with like the winding together components, Lego blocks, Ikea kits, and dealing with all the dependencies, then they will on like, okay, from scratch, creating those microservices themselves. That's not to say that those jobs aren't going to still exist. And those jobs will, in fact, be higher in number. Um, but because of the pace and need for software development being so, so much higher um, than the pace at which those jobs can be developed. That's what gives the room for the more abstracted um, API economy, abstraction layer, low-code, no-code tools to exist and to allow that new category of um, developer as architect, architect as developer uh, to exist more and more. So, I mean, for Postman, we're I've been at Postman for two years now, and we've gone from 10 to 15 million developers in that time period, and it's just scaling as well. And so where we have numbers, we're looking at, you know, 100 million developers within the next, you know, five to 10 years. And like you said, there's only 50 plus million. So we've got to create these developers. And so if it sounds like these this next generation of developers, you feel like should be more in tune with the business requirements, the business needs oh, yeah. needed. Well, I think I think uh, they have to, right? Like, if every company is ultimately a software company, and developers are the ones building that software, then the value of developer within a company is going to be increasingly valuable. And the ones uh, like folks that can best understand the business needs are the ones that are going to be able to best build the the, the right software. Uh, it's going to become more and more a requirement of understanding what to build is understanding why the business would need to build that. Um, and I think the pressure is bidirectional, by the way. So I think I'm, I'm also highlighting that um, it's no longer going to be okay to just get away with saying, I want some software that does something and then like get a response back. Like, what are you talking about? Be a little bit more specific at all about your requirements. Yeah. Um, like the, the only People on like the the business side, they're going to be able to survive. Are the ones that are going to be able to interface collaboratively with uh, the their development teams, their engineering and product teams. Um, that, that's my strong belief. Yeah, agreed. And I think that's uh, I I want to encourage. I mean, people listening, I'm trying to get people into APIs because I feel like we need more of those problem solving people. And when I first got into programming, I won't date myself by saying when you know I, it was low level is pre-internet and i didn't like it i hated programming i was just like i'm not going to do this and i dropped out of school and, and went in a different direction but once the internet came away came around and things were abstracted away i was like okay this is a little more interesting and i feel like that's what nihilus is bringing to the table is it's going to abstract things away and go all right you know i can actually solve a, a vaccination clinic problem here i can actually solve a a work, some sort of meaningful workflow in my industry or business without having to learn all those low level annoyances of the programming language of the APIs and all of that is, is, is abstracted away. So you're going to get people focusing on, like you said, focusing on the problem, on the thing that they, they care most about without uh, the worry about all those technical details. Yeah. So that's pretty huge. 
Yeah. Well, um, it's, it's something that technology is empowering, right? And like for us, uh, specifically on the Nihilus end, we had the hardest time historically um, finding traction for fundraising with investors, with um, really people who aren't our core customers or audience. Uh, because they saw, all right, well, I mean, at a high level, you have like documents, emails, calendars, um, contacts, and SMS APIs. Like, what can you do with that? Like, isn't that like just like five things? It's like, well, no, not really. Like, it's, it's like a million different things everywhere because, again, it's the universal constant thread in human interaction right now. Um, so, like, the fear was like, well, you seem to have like a... a what was the phrase that was used once? Uh, a Chinese menu of uh, options around like use cases that you do. And you do this for healthcare, this for logistics, this for health tech, this for sales, this for CRM and real estate. And by the way, we just checked it. We, um, something like 45% of the, of the country's real estate transactions are going through our servers at one point or another, which is so cool to see uh, at scale that happening, either on like the front end, uh, like realtor.com, move.com. Uh, browsing for houses you can never afford side or on like the mortgage underwriting and lending side, which is like, it speaks to the power that I think that that API uh, economy and ecosystem. But um, I've distracted myself from my own point. Yeah, it's all good. I do that constantly. So that's why we got this nice list of questions here and I kind of route ourselves back. But um, so what's, you guys are, are just got a, a lot of funding. Obviously, growth is in the in the in the cards. What are you going to be investing in? What's what's big for 2022 and and beyond? Uh, scaling and growing the engineering team and scaling and growing the sales team. So uh, basically, growing the company. I think like right now we have a ton of inbound interest, and we want to continue developing and building out that product line. Uh, the opportunity we're heading towards pointing ourselves at, I believe is a pretty obvious one. Even folks at the application layer level of things are trying to head in that direction, though I I believe they're not ever going to get there for that reason that like McDonald's isn't the only restaurant you're ever going to need, but onions are going to be the only onion you ever need. So sell the onions, don't sell the blooming onion or whatever type of uh, analogy we want to go with. Um, The... Sorry, I did it again. Knock myself off no, my own phone. Just investment growing. I mean, I feel like you guys have the have a proven formula. People want to to be able to solve these problems, build new workflows, and 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 it, I I would say you guys you were already doing it before the pandemic, but I think every all roads point to hey, we've got to be able to move fast, be agile. We've got to work with the, the services that we're using already our our email, our our CRM. Are all uh, and as you said, like what's in my in- email inbox is so critical. I mean, there's calendar events, there's receipts, there's invoices, there's all of this this activity going on, and and I'm I'm in Zoom, I'm in Restream every day. So I think you know your your Chinese menu uh, formula for responding to industries is proven, like you just said, in the real estate industry, in specific healthcare, when it comes to be able to adapt fast, move, move fast and do things. So I think absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I think I can, I can wind those threads back together now. So like, I, cause the argument I'll make is that it's not a lot like rest, Chinese menu. I think it's a lot more like a Mexican restaurant menu uh, in that, like the common ingredients, you know, tortillas, rice, meat and cheese. 
uh, whatever you look at, it's going to break down to those things. You don't have to build completely new products, completely new like experiences per industry. You just have to make sure you get like the core ingredients right. So for us, what that means is our focus right now this year um, for the next 12 months is like three things. Developer experience, first and foremost. We want to make it as easy as possible for developers of any skill level, whether you've uh, been that uh, that deep database uh, engineer for the past 15 years or whether like uh, this is your first time uh, touching a terminal or you've like just done a boot camp, I want you to be able to using our software in less than a business day, build something cool and useful. Like that, that's the core idea around developer experience to me. When I say developer experience, I mean like I want folks to be able to do cool stuff quickly. Um, the second piece is scale. So and hiring, um, making sure that our company culture and internal systems are able to keep up with the scale that the, the business is demanding. And the third being that uh, go-to-market excellency piece, where I really want to make sure we are building out the um, Lego uh, instruction sets, the, the IKEA instruction sets that actually like enable that developer experience. So that folks can come in and say like, oh, I really want to build the Eiffel Tower. And we'll say, oh, I'm sorry, we don't have the Eiffel Tower, but here's our, our, our recipe for the Arc de Triomphe. And like here, you use this piece and put it like that. And look, there you go. Um, that's the core idea, like building that out across all of our existing use cases and industries, making sure that we're empowering the developer community and ecosystem to uh, go into the ones that we haven't ourselves touched on. And then um, adding the, the open source components to empower them to do that on their own. That's what we want to focus on and, and deploy the funds against. Yeah, those templates and blueprints are going to be key because because dumping a, a massive bucket of Legos in front of someone only gets you so far. And that's what I feel like the API space has been with the Twilio's, the Stripes and the others. They're powerful and you can do a lot, but you got to have an imagination. I think a lot of the next wave of developers need those templates like you said i i need to know what works for you know selling real estate i need to know what works for doing you know email yeah. marketing in in healthcare i need to know and i need a proven template that works and that scales and that i know is going to be reliable so that's pretty key um so as we're as we're i think we're we're approaching the hour here so we're you know getting uh getting down to it um one, one, another. So I'm going to be using your analogies. So the, the IKEA one, I'm going to explore more and work with and reference you guys as because that's huge. Another one I want to share with you is our director of labs and and one of the original postman postman knots as we call him, uh, Shamasis. He's he's Indian. And he runs our labs. And he come, when he came over, I was like, hey, you know, I'm really into Mexican food and like all you know. And you talked about the different parts. It's like whether it's you got a tortilla, you got pork, you got chicken, you got beef, you got different sauce. He's like, I don't need Mexican food. I've got Indian food. Mm -hmm. And I just was like, oh, that's kind of snobby. And I didn't think about it. And then my wife, we've been cooking during the pandemic. And she's really, she's like, okay, I want to explore this because there's some, you have naan and you have sauces and you have pork and you have beef. And, and so like, how do you, you know, make it. So, I mean, what I see Nyla says is, is yes, here's all these templates, but it still allows for innovation for you to provide different contexts to international audiences, industries, and you can rapidly adapt existing IKEA templates or blueprints 
four different industries based upon what works in real estate. But we're going to try this in in shipping and logistics, you know, and, and this same kind of and it works, but all the tools and everything. So I really feel like that's what you guys have your finger on is that that abstraction layer that's going to be pretty key. And but it still allows because your your developers building for developers, you're going to be able to innovate within that space and people are going to be able to do some pretty interesting templates. And I had a question in there and I totally lost it talking too much. No worries. I, I, I feel you. Um, but I, I feel like that's sort of the challenge right now, what you're describing of going from like tortillas um, to carbs is the challenge. A lot of the folks in the API economy are having like even, even on the Nihilus end, like we do the, you know, tortillas, rice, meat and cheese super well. The future is figuring out like the, the, you know, actual macronutrients uh, portion of it. Like how do we go from naan or tortilla or rice or whatever and uh, level that up to carb? Um, every culture has a series of, has some sort of dumpling, some sort of sandwich equivalent. Um, yeah. yeah. How do we make, uh, the flexible, robust, decomposable, modular software framework that empowers all of that. And so on our end, that's why we're hiring so much on the uh, engineering and data science side, because that's where that context has to come from. Right now, a lot of our AI is uh, a lot of supervised models. How do we generalize that and go to the more unsupervised uh, models and structures that allow for that next leap in abstraction, that like next Russian nesting doll to be layered around the, the potential and uh, possibility of what's being achieved. Um, and I think like we have a, a pretty huge head start when it comes to that, just given the, the scale of data and access that we have, the contents of your mailbox in a lot of ways is the database of your life. Uh, the, absolutely the database of your business. It's where the highest signal lives. It's where you can get the sentiment analysis for how are your employees doing? What does your real org chart look like? No, no, no. Who's actually meeting with who? Who has the positional influence? Um, what are your customers actually feeling about you? Why aren't they taking your meeting? What should you say next? And who can you get an intro from? Um, again, these very, very human questions. Um, that's what the the context and data and structure helps you provide and then really, really quickly build against to provide new value, to build and create something cool and interesting and just fucking awesome as a developer or as a, a business person uh, at the end of the day. Um, that's sort of the goal. And sort of maybe I'll, I'll turn this one around on you because uh, I, I see we're at the end of the hour. But uh, what in your mind, uh, I've asked a couple dozen people this question and the answers tend to be pretty consistent. So I'm just going to free uh, white space it. What has been the consistent theme between like the best developers that you've worked with? Uh, developers who aren't afraid to ask questions, um, humble developers, um, ones who uh, listen and, and as well as ask those questions at the right times, they're not too talkative, um, but the ones that can speak to the business problems and under, I, I'm a big fan of recruiting uh, evangelists and DevRel folks from business circles, not from developer circles, and and because they're closer to the business problems. And then once you get them close enough to the APIs, uh, and this has been a mission of mine is is explaining APIs to the normals, to the the muggles of the world, because <laughs> I feel like they're going to be the ones that are going to actually solve problems. Where a lot of us developers and tech folks just do APIs for the sake of APIs. Look, it's right. It's a perfect API. What problem does it solve? Well, I mean, 
you can add contacts and you can, you know, well, no, what problem does it solve? So speaking to that problem and having some sort of domain expertise, either in healthcare or real estate or, you know, and so grabbing people out of those industries, and then I wouldn't say just turning them into developers, turning them into tech savvy, curious people who are going to poke, prod and try to understand things. That's what I'm looking for. And, and a developer of the future for me isn't someone isn't someone necessarily coding because I spend very little of my time coding and I'm technically a developer, but I spend a lot of time connecting the pipes, seeing how it works, playing with API, seeing what's possible, comparing two different similar APIs and going, okay, what's the responses look like? And I'm writing very little code. And that's one of the reasons I'm at Postman is because Postman allows you to do that. So that, that curiosity is a pretty key one for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, could not agree with you more. I think that that's actually the universal answer that people come back with. The best developers are the ones that listen, that collaborate, that have high EQ, that are able to explain the context of what you're working on, and that are able to like help and mentor people who don't understand that space, enabling them to move faster. Um, never has anyone said, it's like, oh, they're the ones that really understand COBOL or like, they're the ones that can like really get Cassandra up and running somewhere. Like never, like it's the exact same universal answer to, if you ask someone, what makes an awesome marketer? What, what's, what's the common theme between every good salesperson you talk to is, Oh, they listen. They actually helped me accomplish things. They like, I felt a connection and like that we together could build something greater. It's like, that's that universal theme. And that's why focusing on software that connects people and help them, helps them get something done at the end of the day is so exciting for us. Why we love, uh, we're, we're a Postman customer. We help use y'all to um, help folks navigate our docs, uh, use the software. We also use it internally uh, for internal testing and debugging customer issues because um, it allows that like next step. And I don't think we're there yet. I think it is five to 10 years out. But then next step in like the way we think about um, different roles in business, maybe the role of business overall in accomplishing things in service of people's interests. Yeah. Yeah, no, agreed. And so moving forward, I think I'm going to be, I'm going to be using the Ikea temp model and blueprint and, and rep and cite you for it. And as I talk to different uh, startups, enterprise organizations about the, how do you articulate the context and the value, not just business value, but value of an API and what it does. And if if you can't explain like this, this is a coffee table that sits in the corner, you know, uh, that, that does X, Y, or Z, or it's this in your kitchen hanging to hold garlic. You know, if you can't explain what it does in those, con in, in those terms and then provide some sort of blueprint for someone to put it to use, um, that it doesn't bring a lot of value to the table. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna probably be pinging y'all for some some help on that one because I think as I wor roll my way through different API ecosystems, I think that's gonna be a pretty powerful analogy to work with. So I appreciate that one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I think that's about it. We we've gone a little bit over, but that was a great conversation. Um, I appreciate it. even though we wandered a bit. I, I that's what I love the most about it because. Um, we both lost our way a few times and uh, I think that's what this is all about. So I appreciate your time today, Glenn. 100%. Thank you so much. It was great being here. All right. Thank you.